do something different today. I'm going to come up here. It's a little more scary here, but uh, I got a chair just in case I get tired and I uh, need to sit down. But um, hey, let me start by asking you all a question. Who rules your life? Who calls the shots? And is it working for you? You see, today in the church calendar, some of you are all are up on this. Some of you are like, what is a church calendar? Is it a calendar with churches on it? But uh, all over uh, the world right now in liturgical churches, this Sunday is known as Christ the King Sunday. So the question for all of us this morning is, who is on the throne of your life? You know, when I look back at my life, as much as I'd like to say that Christ is on the throne of my life, so often I don't recognize his rule in my life, and I've tried to take his place. I'll give you one example, and it's, it's an easy one, because when we're adolescents, when we're teenagers, we kind of remember our faults because they were uh, pretty obvious at the time. But as we get older as adults, sometimes we cover them up and make them look good. Well, my senior year, and if you have a senior who's a boy right now, maybe you relate to this, you start acting like a middle school kid again. You're all mature, you're getting ready to go to college, and then for whatever happens, it seemed like my friends and I, we started to digress. We started to act super immature, and especially after football season was over. See, I was a football player, and I had to behave because my coach was the guidance counselor. Well, as soon as the season was over, I started acting up in this one particular class, English. And the teacher was really good, but I would tell, tell my parents when I came home, oh, the teacher is terrible, and my parents believed me. Don't believe your kids when they say the teacher's terrible. Usually it's your kids that are terrible nine times out of ten. Well, in this case, I was being particularly bad, and I kept getting called to my guidance counselor. My coach he kept saying, what are you doing? Finally, one day I had to go in again, and he said, the teacher, who I'm not going to mention her name because this is recorded in 2018, uh, did not want me in her class anymore and said that I had to go to Mr. Weaver's class. And Mr. Weaver was supposed to be one of the best English teachers in the school, but he was supposed to be difficult. And I didn't want a difficult teacher, especially my senior year. And I heard he was strict, and I definitely didn't want that. But I had no choice. I no longer could call the shots. It was Mr. Weaver's kingdom I had to go to. So I went to his class, and I looked around, and I go, you know what? All the juvenile delinquents in school are kind of in this class. What am I doing here? And then I realized that, oh, yeah, I guess I've been acting up a little bit. Mr. Weaver was a very soft-spoken man. He loved his students, and no one misbehaved. He had this kind of soft way about him, but nobody dared for whatever it was. He was just one of those gifted teachers where no one acted up. And he made you do public speaking, which at the time I hated. Within the first few days, I had to get up and do like an impromptu speech to the class. I was shaking and sweating. And over those next several months before I graduated, I had to mature pretty quick if I was going to pass this class. Fortunately, I did. I went on to minor in English because I realized I had a knack for it um, and uh, actually did a lot of public speaking in college. And now I'm here before you today. So God had a plan in all of that. You know, for most of us, as we go through life, kind of like I was my senior year, we want to call the shots. Our culture, our society in the United States kind of glorifies that. We preach self-sufficiency, self-service is offered to us at every uh, turn in the road. And these things in themselves are not bad. It's good to be self-sufficient, know how to dress yourself and make basic decisions in life. 
But sometimes the self-sufficiency turns into, I don't need anybody else. It's all about me. And this me on the throne of our lives can turn into, as one comedian called it, the me monster, where everything turns to be about ourselves. We use people to manipulate them, to get things from them. Anything to keep our fragile ego right on this throne. My friend and I, back uh, after college, when I was living in Richmond, Virginia, were at this party. I remember this clearly because my friend was one who would always confront things, especially if somebody was acting up or just doing something that was kind of dumb. And we were talking to this guy at the party, and he was telling us how, you know, he had got into, like, sales or something. And his goal in life was to get really rich and to have a trophy wife. And my friend goes, what is a trophy wife? We kind of knew what he was talking about, but he made him like verbalize it. He goes, well, you know, I'm going to get like this really pretty wife and show him off to my friends. And and my friend was like, well, how's that going to work? Are you going to like set her on the shelf when you're not with your friends? Uh, You know, kept asking him questions. And the more he started articulating what he was talking about, the dumber he sounded to himself. And the conversation just kind of died out. You see... When we are at the throne and we use other people, it never really works very well. We all know that. But yet so often, we want to call all the shots. Our relationships become means to get what we want. And at the end of the day, it doesn't always feel that good. It never ultimately satisfies. So if we're not on the throne, then what do we do? Well, let's find someone else to put on a throne. When we're younger, we put the girlfriend or the boyfriend on the throne, and that becomes our all in all. But then they break up with us. When we get older, maybe it's a spouse. But then we're married a few years, and we realize that's not working for us so well. To, uh, or we have kids, and our kids become our everything. We pour our lives into them. And then they graduate from college, and they go on, and they don't call as much as we'd like, and they don't visit as much. And we're left with this emptiness. Who are we going to put on our throne? So for others, they look for the latest self-guru, the latest motivational person to put on the throne and to look for advice on how should we live life. But like a lot of fads and trends, they fade away quick until the next guru is there. And ultimately, they don't last. You know, it's interesting in the Enlightenment, all these great intellectuals and scholars pushed the church, pushed God off the throne, and they became the experts that people looked up to. But unfortunately, they never practiced what they preached nine times out of ten. And although they had maybe great thoughts and ideas, when you looked at their personal lives, oftentimes it was a mess. It wasn't the utopia that they were trying to create in culture. So this sounds like a real bummer of a message, huh? I'm telling you all that, uh, you know, if we're on the throne, it doesn't work. We can't put other people. Don't trust anybody. But I have really good news for us, and a lot of us realize this, but I hope I can articulate in a way that we can put Christ on our throne every day. See, the good news for us this morning as we look through the Gospels, as we look particularly at the reading in Revelations, we're going to recognize the lordship of Christ Jesus as king of our lives. When we recognize his reign and we live under this lordship, We have an intimacy and a relationship with God that can't be replaced by anything. And we do that when we do this, it transforms our lives so that we can have a much better relationship with others. We have a much better uh, relationship with ourselves because we understand we're loved by God. 
we push away these fragile egos that try to be in control and we allow God to control us and to guide us in our lives. And ultimately, it's very good news. So today we're going to look at uh, the gospel reading and we're going to look at revelations and I'm going to unpack this a little bit more. And we're going to talk about understanding and recognizing this rule of Christ, the right person to be on the throne of our lives. So the reading today might have been very familiar from the gospel. It's the Palm Sunday reading, of course. And uh, if you read up to this, the disciples were constantly missing the point of what Jesus reign and his kingdom was about. A matter of fact, right before this, they were fighting to say, you know what? When you go to heaven, who is going to be your number two guy? Is it going to be me or him? They were kind of jockeying for position. And Jesus said, no, that's not what my kingdom is all about. It's not to be served, but to serve. Whoever wants to be great among you has to become the least. Then he rides into town and they put him on this donkey. And for one moment, everybody got it right who Jesus was. They started declaring, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. So what they are saying is, this is the Messiah, the one the prophets talked about. He is the king. They got it right. And then five days later, they got it very wrong. See, Jesus got arrested and they all scattered and they were like, oh, I don't know about that. And they ran. But then the disciples who witnessed the resurrected Jesus, lives were forever changed. They recognized that Jesus was king. They recognized that he was the king over death. They saw the risen, the risen Savior. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They recognized that Christ was king and their lives were never the same. And when we look at Revelations uh, the Apostle John, who saw the risen Jesus, he writes these words to remind us that everything the prophet said came true. He said, Jesus Christ, that faithful witness, firstborn of the dead, ruler of the kings of the earth, trusting in the faithfulness of God. This is who Jesus is and was. In Luke's gospel, in the very beginning, it said, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So we kind of have these bookends. We have the beginning of the Gospels about who he will be, and then we have in Revelations when John is writing to the seven churches and talks about who he is. His kingdom will last. He has overcome death. He is the faithful witness to what God's kingdom is all about. He is our keys to salvation. When he is in charge, it's not like that guru who fades away over time. It lasts. And then in John and Revelation reminds us of what Christ did. See, he is king because he overcame death on the cross. John writes to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood. He is personal and that he loved each and every one of us. He died on the cross for our sins so death could pass us by, that we could have access to the Father. In Ephesians, Paul writes, In him we have a redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So this is great news for every single one of us who are here and aren't here and all over the world. 
that Christ died for everybody so that everybody could be in a relationship with God and recognize the rightful reign of Jesus Christ in their lives. But this action demands a response from every one of us. Right before Palm Sunday in Mark's Gospel, he talks about you have to have faith like a little child. That's how you enter the kingdom. And if you think of a child, it's not like you turn off your brain to have faith. It's just a complete trust in God. That's the kind of faith and response we're called to, to put our whole selves in, to trust all of us into Christ's hands, to trust our lives to his rule in our lives. John writes, yet to all who believed him, to those who received him, he gave the right to become children of God, that we become part of a family that we cannot get kicked out of. And it's not just a one-time decision where we say, yeah, yeah, I believe. We understand that it was costly grace, that we were bought with the price. So it's a dynamic daily experience. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who our speaker in February, uh, Eric Metaxas, writes about, said these words. As Christians, as believers, we live each day as if it were our last, and each day as if it was, was a great future because of Jesus Christ. So don't we, we don't live lives holding back. We go out in the world and we love people, we care about people, as if it is our last day every day. And for all of us who are believers, as I've said when I preached before, death doesn't have the final word because we have the real hope of eternal life. So don't, we don't live lives with the brakes on. We say things to people we need to say. We do things that we know we need to do as the Holy Spirit guides us. We are people of hope. In Revelations, in the beginning, uh, which I've been talking about, it says we're blessed when we understand this. A lot of times people say, I'm so blessed, and they write it you know, on their Instagram, you know, bless this, bless that. What does that really mean? When well, Greek, it simply means happy. But when John wrote this in, uh, in Revelations to the churches, I believe he was talking about the Hebrew word. And the Hebrew word is this word asher. And it means to find the right pathway in the face of false, false pathways. It has to do with discovering the meaning in the face of all these different options. So we're blessed when we understand that Jesus is the way, that he's the one that needs to be on the throne. When we put our whole selves in and that kind of trust then we're blessed. It's more than just a happy. It's knowing we're on the right path. And as we know, paths can be difficult. They can be hard. Sometimes uh, we struggle. All of us do. But when we know we're going the right way, it's a good feeling. It brings a lasting joy. And when we know that death doesn't have the final word for us, it's even more free. When we have setbacks, we know they're temporary. We know that death will not have the final word in our lives. As uh, John goes on in Revelations, he says that Jesus has made us a kingdom, priest, and he is coming again. So we are commissioned to bring about his kingdom on this side of heaven. Remember when we say the Lord's Prayer, we say, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We don't just say in heaven. We're not just waiting here till we die. We have a job to do. And that job is to tell people about the rule of Christ in our hearts and how it's changed us, how it's changed the course of our lives, how it's put us on the right path. How just like them, we're people and we struggle and we have our hardships. But as we look to Christ, we find guidance. 
It's almost like we have that GPS that is always self-correcting us. That as we go back, it says recalculating, recalculating, because it's trying to get us back on the right path to that path that leads to joy, that leads to salvation. So we're commissioned. We're part of this plan. It's not just a kingdom where we say, yep, you're the ruler. We get to be part of this kingdom. Finally, a little more about this kingdom. This kingdom is not about just knowledge or capturing lands. That's what was the problem with the Crusades, as they went around trying to capture all these uh, countries for uh, Christ. See, Christ was, his kingdom is about relationships. If you look at Jesus' life and his ministry, he didn't walk around just giving speeches, then hiding from people. He didn't just send a message in the clouds, the little cloud characters that said, I love you. He walked around and showed love to people. He walked around and visited people, all kinds of people, people that were good and people that were bad in their society, people that were uh, looked up highly, highly esteemed, to people that were like people considered the worst of the worst. He spent time with people. He told them that he loved them. People discovered that he was the Messiah. People changed their lives and they followed him. And we're called to to this kingdom of relationships. You know, so oftentimes in church and Christianity and following Christ, we always think, well, you know, my job is to come here, throw some money in the plate, and then I'll have the priest or I'll have the missionaries. They can do the work out in the world. But right there in Revelation says we are all called to be a kingdom, to be priest, to the relationships we have that are right in front of us, the relationships outside this door, and to the ends of the world. Yes, you can support missions. That's very important. Yes, you can go on a mission trip. But it's relationships both close, far, and everywhere. That's the kind of uh, kingdom we're invited into. And finally, in this uh, kingdom that we're invited into to participate, we're called to be servants. As I said before, uh, instead, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to become great among you, must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. We are called to be living sacrifices, to serve others, to serve God who has the rightful place in the throne of our lives. When we do that, we know joy. When Christ is on the throne, it changes everything. Our self is not eliminated. It's not like an Eastern religion where it's like a collective soul and we don't really have any personality anymore. We just say chants or whatnot. No, we become our real self, our true self. The one who made us, who designed us, who created us, we become aligned with him. Eric Metaxas in one of his books says, as we pray, our thoughts become more aligned with God's thoughts. Our ways become more aligned with his ways. We get to participate what the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is doing in this world. That GPS that corrects us and tells us, no, you need to go talk to this person. We change our course to talk to this person that God wants us to talk to and encourage and share the hope that we have. Others, rather than putting them on the throne, we care for them deeply. Our kids, our spouses, our family, our friends, our girlfriends, our boyfriends, all those people, 
We don't just say, oh, we don't need you anymore. Instead, with Christ on the throne, we have a love for them that is beyond ourselves. Because we all know that our love, even on a good day, isn't all that great. It runs out. But when we're aligned with the one who loves us continually, it helps us to care and love our friends and family in a much, much deeper way. When Christ is on the throne, our understanding of God shifts as well. Rather than uh, us sitting on the throne and God is our genie in the bottle or an alpha we talked about last year, kind of the vending machine God where we're like, I'd like a good life and a good day and a good mark on the test. And no, our thoughts become more his thoughts. Our ways become more his ways. The Holy Spirit guides us. We put God in his right place. We still talk to him. We still ask for things. But we understand his heart better. We start wanting the things and desiring the things that he desires. So what are we going to do with this message this morning? For many of us, I know, you've heard this before. You know that Christ is supposed to be the king of of your life. You know you're supposed to believe. You know you're supposed to walk out here and share this message with others. But my challenge for you this morning is, first of all, This is bigger than you just making a list and trying to do this more. My challenge for all of us is this morning, as you go up to communion, to ask God to come into your life more and more each day, starting today. Say, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I can't do life on my own. I'm not very good at serving people. People annoy me sometimes. I struggle with this. Remember, it's a kingdom of relationships we can talk to god in those kind of ways he can change us from the inside out he not only guides us he's a personal guide who knows us and loves us so for you i think of that speech that john f kennedy said when he said ask not what your country can do for you ask what you can do for your country I actually had to look down to read that because I kept screwing that up when I was practicing. So I want to make sure I got it right. But so for us, it is. It's not God, not what you can do for me. But what can I do for you? What can I do for others? How can I serve others? Lord, help me to love others like you do. When we do this, it's transformative. It changes us. I remember in college, I was in a fraternity my freshman year, and uh, at this one point, I ended up, uh, was trying to kind of push my faith on the side, and it came to a point where I, I had several of my pledge brothers ask me about my faith, and even though I was kind of struggling in my life, I had to share with them the hope I had, and I realized that my life was kind of, what I was talking about and what I was doing wasn't matching, and slowly that began to change, because I knew who I belonged to. And I knew God loved them just like he loved me. See, it's a very personal message for all of us. Jesus needs to be on the throne. He is on the throne whether we recognize it or not. We need to open our eyes and recognize that and live our lives accordingly. Finally, we as a church are called to do this collectively. Jesus says, where two or three gather together in my name, I'm with you. Doesn't mean he's not with you and it's just you, but his presence when we're together is powerful. We are a powerful witness to this community. 
Hebrews, uh, the author writes, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily tangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Remember that path? When we recognize he is king, he sends us down a path that brings life to other people. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. Collectively, when we do this, we are powerful witnesses of hope to those around us. So this is the end of, again, let me go back to this whole calendar year, Christ the King Sunday. That's why we're wearing white. These are celebration colors, by the way. I know it's not like bright orange or yellow or that kind of thing, but we have these at weddings and at funerals. And the reason we have a celebratory stole during those events is we believe, obviously, wedding is the beginning of a new life that has a chance to create more life if they have kids, and plus they bring their life and faith to other people. And then at a funeral, we have white as well because, like I told you earlier, death doesn't have the final word for us who believe. So it's a celebration. That's why we have a closed casket. You will see this person again. It's been finished. Christ died for them on the cross, and there's access, there's eternal life, and there's hope for all those who believe. So this is Christ the King Sunday. This is the last Sunday before we begin a new church here. And as Stephen Covey said, begin with the end in mind. So we end the year with what is the beginning. Remember in Greg's teaching in John 1.1 that said Christ was there in the beginning of creation. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. This word became flesh and dwelt among us in Jesus. So we go all the way back to the beginning and reminder that Jesus was with God in the beginning. He became one of us. He died for our sins. He rose from the dead. He is the king. That's the way we end the year. And then we go into Advent next year and we recognize once again that Christ is king and the Savior is coming and that he will come again. So this is a message of great hope for all of us who believe. I'm going to end, yes, I'm ending right now, with a song uh, that I'm not going to sing because that would be a bad ending. But um, at Christmas time, we sing a song that really sums up a lot about this kingdom reign of Jesus in our lives and what that means. And let me read a few stanzas from this. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. I love that, to make room in your heart for the only one who can fill that void. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness. And then last but not least, he says, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. He has reversed the curse. For you Boston Red Sox fans, you know what that means. But in a much bigger way, he has reversed that curse. It says in the scriptures, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Sin no longer reigns in our lives. Jesus reigns in our lives, and we are a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Let us pray. Lord, a lot of us know this in our heads. And yet it's so hard oftentimes to follow you and to trust you with our lives. We want to be in control. But I pray this morning we would surrender, all of us, to you. Help us as we go into Advent season and prepare for Christmas 
to, again, not miss what it's all about. It's about you, the Savior for all of us, who's come into the world and has given us access to God and brought us salvation. Help us to remember that deeply in the very, in the very hearts of every person here. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.